Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach, a modern recruiting and compliance software solution. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate all the positive feedback on the show, and please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road, whatever platform you use to listen. This week, I'm honored to be joined by a great friend and subject matter expert, Brandon Wiseman, transportation attorney and president of TruckSafe Consulting, as we discuss what to expect come January 2023 as the drug and alcohol clearinghouse becomes fully implemented. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Great to see you again. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me back. Well, you joined me earlier this year as, uh, as we talk a lot about, you know, your background, your area of expertise in the industry, primarily around, you know, safety and compliance, uh, as well as a number of regulatory items, you know, relevant to recruiting and retention. And uh, Driver Reach also hosted a webinar where you highlighted much of what I'd like us to cover today, namely the FMCSA's Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse, since our recruiting processes will change to some degree uh, beginning in January 2023. Does that, does that work for you? Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's do it. <laughs> Now, actually, even before we go there, I, I would like to you know, just give you an opportunity to share with the audience what exactly TruckSafe does and, and how you're helping the industry be better. Perhaps you can maybe mention some of the, the content you provide and as well as you know, your uh, podcast, TruckSafe Live. Sure. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, TruckSafe is a DOT compliance consulting company at its heart. Um, we help motor carriers with their compliance needs, helping them to understand their obligations under the federal and state safety regulations. The whole idea that I had when I started TruckSafe was to put better content out there uh, and make it available to those that are charged with running a regulated transportation program. Uh, I just didn't feel like there was um, a sufficient amount or or quality of that type of content out there available for safety managers and owners of small trucking companies and, and even larger truck, trucking companies, frankly. So I spent a lot of time early on building out my own um, DOT compliance related courses, online courses, kind of hitting the nitty gritty of DOT compliance hours of service, driver qualification, drug and alcohol testing, all of that type of stuff. And, um, you know, kind of leveraging my background and working with the regulations day in and day out as a transportation attorney uh, and, and kind of putting my unique spin on them, trying to, uh, you know, break them down into layman's term help layman's terms, helping us all to uh, hopefully better understand what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And so uh, courses w played a big role early on in what we, what we did and, and they still play a big role, but um, more and more so we are doing uh, just a ton of content, putting a lot of content out there, all centered around DOT compliance. We do that a few different ways. Um, you mentioned our, our podcast. We do a monthly live stream podcast, uh, called truck safe live, um, where we bring on industry guests to talk about hot button issues, impacting motor carriers, things like nuclear verdicts and, uh, AB five legislation that we saw come out of California, that type of stuff. We've got a show coming up. Um, where we're going to talk about the anatomy of a commercial motor vehicle accident and what motor carriers need to know. God forbid their drivers involved in a significant accident. So that type of stuff, we do that monthly. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and then we're constantly posting short videos and stuff like that on our YouTube channel and, and our various social Social media channels. So standing out in that way and, and leveraging, you know, some of the, the modern channels of communication, I think is super helpful. And obviously just being a wealth of knowledge is, is significant too. So really glad that, uh, that we work with you. Glad that we have the opportunity to offer uh, some of the, the courses that you uh, have put together, you know, for our, our clients. 
Uh, let's talk about the, the clearinghouse. What is it about January 6th? That date has been so controversial. And this is, this is a true story. Uh, you know, driver reaches, you know, mobile application, you know, references that as of, uh, I think it was January 6th, 2020, applying drivers who need to, you know, register with the clearinghouse so they could, uh, you know, give consent, you know, for a pre-employment full query. Well, the driver who saw that sent a comment asking, what does this have to do with January 6th? <laughs> and I'm guessing he was referring to a different, you know, series yeah. of events on January 6th of a different year. <laughs> but uh, he got riled up. That was that was obvious. So what yeah. did you share? What's so special about January 6th, uh, 2023? Yeah, unfortunate date issue there. Um, no, from uh, the DOT perspective, the date is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, January 6, 2020 is when the federal drug and alcohol clearinghouse first went into effect. Clearinghouse, for those who aren't familiar with it, you should be now uh, if you're not already, but it's essentially a central repository for drug and alcohol testing violation data for all CDL drivers in the United States. So when a driver tests positive for drugs or alcohol or refuses a test, that type of stuff all gets filtered into the clearinghouse. And then um, subsequent employers of those drivers uh, are supposed to be querying the clearinghouse when they hire new drivers, uh, new CDL drivers, I should say, and, and looking to see if there's any data in the system that would prohibit that driver from operating a commercial motor vehicle going forward. Because the last thing we want is to um, inadvertently put a driver on the road who is prohibited from operating because of a prior drug or alcohol testing violation. So um, previously, before January 6th of 2020, this was a pretty manual process, as Jeremy knows. Um, Motor carriers had to literally reach out to previous employers that had um, employed that driver within the three years preceding his or her application date and ask certain questions, some of which had to do with drug and alcohol testing. Did this driver ever test positive for drugs or alcohol while operating for you so that they could make an informed decision of whether to qualify that driver going forward or not? And so for this three-year period, um, January 6th of 2020, when the clearinghouse was first implemented, there was no data in that clearinghouse. And so when a when a motor carrier would query the clearinghouse because there was no data in it, they wouldn't get any information out of that query. So the FMCSA wanted to kind of, you know, fill that gap by requiring motor, motor carriers to do two things for a three year period beginning January 6th of 2020. They had to both run a query through the clearinghouse and also continue to do those manual queries where they reach out to previous employers and ask essentially the same questions that they're getting through the clearinghouse account so that we didn't have any gaps where the clearinghouse was devoid of the information that a previous employer may have. Well, come January 6, 2023, that's going to be the three year three years since the clearinghouse was implemented. Now we have a three, a, a full three years worth of data in the clearinghouse that should alleviate the gaps that we had previously. So as of that date, there's going to be a change. There is a change baked into the regulation that says as of January 6th, 2023, motor carriers now no longer have to do those manual inquiries to previous employers to ask those drug and alcohol questions. They instead get that data exclusively through their clearinghouse account. So that's essentially the change in a nutshell. Um, uh, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> There's some more to talk about for sure. What was interesting, I remember, you know, distinctly as we were building up to this in in uh, early January 2020, 2020, and 
you know, it seems like it, it just went by so fast that it was such an uneventful three years, right? What's the global pandemic, <laughs> supply chain crisis, you plenty know, of other stuff to worry about, rampant inflation. Next thing you know, you're like, oh, hey, we're here. That went um, by quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So now, to your point, uh, post January 6, 2023, we won't need to, it, you know, we still are going to do previous employment verification. Uh, requests, right? Inquiries, safety, performance, history, inquiries, right? Yeah. So in the federal driver qualification rules, prospective employers of drivers have several obligations that they have to meet when they're qualifying the drivers before letting them operate for them. And these safety performance history verification checks have always been a part of that process. And so that there's still going to be an obligation on motor carriers going forward, even after January 6th of 2023, to reach out to previous employers of your driver applicants and ask certain questions, namely verifying that they were employed by that previous employer and the dates of their employment. And also, hey, was this driver involved in any DOT recordable accidents while operating for you? We still want to get that type of information. We still have an obligation to get that type of information from these drivers' previous employers. But what we don't have an obligation to do anymore after that date is to ask those drug and alcohol questions, which are duplicative of the information that we're going to get through the clearinghouse as of uh, that day going forward. So, and, and the reason why I asked that question is I know most of us have some sort of a standard form that's used, you know, I think, I think the FMCSA even maybe offers some guidance there. And so that's what, you know, is used to send off, you know, especially sad to say that still happens in some cases via fax, um, yeah. Or, you know, I have no doubt email. that in, in a decade from now, I will still be <laughs> auditing files and we'll, and then we'll still be seeing the same forms that we've been using. Uh, that's just how it goes in this yeah. industry. I thought you were going to say a decade from now, you'll still be, you know, seeing documents that were received or sent via fax. And that's <laughs> oh, probably yeah, for sure. true. Yeah, definitely. That's true as well. But, but do you uh, think the FMCSA will be providing a, a new, some new sample language around that, you know, safety performance history that would maybe exclude that uh i hope so i mean literally all they have to do is update their form and delete those questions from their form but um (laughs) based on past experience i don't put too much trust that's going to get done anytime soon so um if you're using your own form the the regulations don't require you to use any specific form is the point so if you're whatever form you're using or if you're using a third-party vendor to do these for you check the form, see if those drug and alcohol questions are still on it and remove them after January 6th because uh, you don't want to have to be sending out those questions uh, when you're not required to do so. It's just going to, again, it's going to be duplicative if you're doing that and it's going to be an additional burden on the previous employers. So I would recommend you remove it. Um, So it very well could be FMCSA may update their form. Um, That's on their website, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Well, so so we're three years in, right? So do you think that there will be more of an effort, you know, from the FMCSA to, to find companies that are not compliant? And I and I say that because it seems to me that the FMCSA has been been pretty magnanimous in terms of uh, of exacting fines for you know non-compliance, right? Especially since it's so easy for them to know really exactly who is and isn't compliant with the clearinghouse, you know, whether or not they're even registered or whether or not they're you know, at least running like limited queries, you know, at least once a year. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what that word means, but um, yeah. So <laughs> in, in my experience, 
uh, FMCSA has already started to ramp up their enforcement efforts against motor carriers who they find to be in violation of the clearinghouse obligations. So I've been involved in several audits over the last year, especially where motor carriers uh, had not been running the required queries under the clearinghouse or had not even registered for a clearinghouse account. And that came back to bite them in a pretty big way in the context of that audit, primarily via um, civil penalties as a result of th- those failures. So FMCSA recently, uh, earlier this year, updated their civil penalty schedules to increase the fines for clearinghouse violations. Um, I think it's up to, uh, I can't remember the exact number, it's around $6,000 per violation. Um, and so uh, again, I have seen them kind of ramp that up, and I think they will continue to do so, especially after January 6, 2023, when we're kind of out of this implementation phase and we're, we're fully implemented at that point. So it would not be surprising to me if, uh, to start to see those numbers start to go up. I know I'm sharing this with everybody, but it seems like low-hanging fruit for anybody in the consulting business to be able to scrub a list of all, you know, DOT, you know, companies, you know, companies that have a DOT number versus uh, or that employees, you know, from CDL drivers versus, you know, companies that are registered in the database might be some, <laughs> yeah. some low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I would be surprised if that's not not already happening. It, you probably know, Jeremy, anytime you register for a new DOT number, you will be flooded with all kinds of emails with from companies pretending like they're official emails from the DOT and telling you all the stuff that you got to do. I would be surprised if there aren't already companies out there doing that for uh, for clearinghouse. So uh, yeah, that, that's an issue. Well, there's another, you know, something else. There's a, I feel like there's a loophole, right, still in the this process. The, the pre-employment full query, you know, it allows for a window of 30 days. I think it's 30 days. Uh, for the carrier to be notified if there's any new, you know, positive drug or alcohol data on that driver, like if it exists, you know, from the time that it was, you know, originally run. But then, you know, for all of the current drivers who, you know, when you run a limited query, you know, to remain compliant, say you're doing that even just once a year, there's really no data reporting window on any of them. But those are the ones that it probably matters. Well, not that the other doesn't, but it's like, you know, but the reason why I'm asking that, or at least bringing that up, is do you think that, that that will be remedied come November 24th when, you know, the clearinghouse is tied to all of the you know, state driver licensing, uh, uh, state, state driver licensing agencies? And, and, and how does that make it easier to learn about you know, clearinghouse data on your current drivers once that's in effect? Yeah, so the clearinghouse is a big step in the right direction to give us visibility as motor carriers into the drug and alcohol testing past of our drivers. But it's not... Um, it doesn't give us full visibility. It's not a continuous monitoring system. So let's say we hire a driver and everything looks good on the clearinghouse query that we run pre-employment. Let's say that driver then works for us for six months, but during that six months, he also he or she also happens to work for another motor carrier at the same time. Pretty common, especially with owner operators and in certain segments of the industry for drivers to work for multiple carriers. What if that driver tests positive for drugs or alcohol at that other motor carrier? Um, through the clearinghouse, we don't, we as the other motor carrier don't get automatic notification that that driver's status has changed in the clearinghouse. We only get a notification that there's something amiss in connection with any queries that we run. And so the way that the clearinghouse rule works is um, there, there are two querying obligations. We have a pre-employment query that we have to run on uh, any new drivers, any new CDL drivers that we're hiring. We have to do that. Um, and then Annually thereafter, we have to run what's called a limited query. And so, um, you know, that that 
that means we are blind to anything that happens in between those queries that we are running on a periodic basis for our drivers if it happens at another motor carrier. Now, obviously, if we send the driver in for a random drug or alcohol test, we're going to get the results of that test and we're going to know that we need to take this driver off the road. But if he or she tests positive um, or violates the drug and alcohol testing rules for another motor carrier, we won't necessarily have visibility to that unless the driver tells us voluntarily, which is unlikely to happen. Um, or if it's within those 30 days after we had ran a pre-employment query, a full query on the driver. So as you said, Jeremy, the, when we run a full pre-employment query, the regulations are such that if anything changes with that driver's status within the 30 days after I run that full query, the system will notify me that there's been a change and then I can go see what that change is and take action. But that's not true of those annual limited queries that I run every year on all of my drivers. If anything changes about their status the day after I run that limited query, I won't know about it unless the driver tells me. So that is a big gap. Um, and so how do we close that? Well, you mentioned November of 2024. That's another uh, important date to look out for because um, come November 2024, the FMCSA has already rolled out a new regulation that says as of November 2024, state driver's licensing agencies have to start utilizing the clearinghouse and querying the clearinghouse before they upgrade, renew, or issue a, a CDL to a driver. So if a driver presents to a state driver's licensing agency, says, I need to renew my CDL or get my CDL um, or, or something like that, the state has to query the clearinghouse. And if they see that the driver's in prohibited status, then they have to take action to either deny that CDL or downgrade it to just a standard driver's license. And then, so now the clearinghouse will be linked to the commercial driver's licensing system so that we kind of start to close that gap. And now drivers, we don't have the situation of a driver who's in prohibited status in the clearinghouse with a valid CDL. Now the driver's uh, CDL will be downgraded if he or she is put in prohibited status in the clearinghouse. And then we as the employing motor carrier um, should become aware of that driver losing his license through the MVRs that we run, or if we have them enrolled in some kind of a drive, uh, continuous driver's license monitoring program. Which it seemed like a huge, you know, opportunity for just the concept of monitoring if you're not doing it. However, the way you just described it has me somewhat concerned that is it not continuous? So the state licensing, uh, driver's license, it has to actually ping the database upon, you know, a renewal, or it's not just because that it really makes sense that it would just be automatic. Yeah, there could still be some gaps um, because uh, as far as I know, I could be wrong. But as far as I know, the states aren't going to have an obligation to automatically learn of a driver's change in status in the in the clearinghouse. In other words, it would only come to their attention whenever they're engaging in some kind of a CDL transaction, whether it be renewing the driver's CDL uh, or, or issuing a new one. Again, I could be wrong on that. It would be ideal, like you said, if it would automatically ping the state and then they have to immediately downgrade that driver's license. But even still, then we still have a gap because motor carriers are only obligated to run motor vehicle reports to check a driver's license status once a year. So unless that driver tells you that their license has been downgraded, we're still going to be in a similar situation. Of course, the minute that driver gets pulled over for a roadside inspection and doesn't have a valid license, then the driver's going to be placed out of service and you will know about it as soon as there's a uh, roadside inspection. But again, it's nothing like what 
ideally we would eventually move to, which is a continuous monitoring system, similar to what I wish were in place for license monitoring, where now we've got third parties who have entered the market that offer this service to motor carriers. It's not required, but third parties will continuously monitor the license status of your drivers so that if you run an MVR on uh, November 1st and then uh, it shows that the driver's all good, November 2nd, they lose their license. Now under the current regulations, I wouldn't know about the fact that he lost his license because the November 1st MVR I ran showed that he was all good. So I wouldn't know about it unless he tells me uh, for, you know, potentially 12 months down the road. So um, these these third parties have come in and tried to solve that voluntarily by, by uh, you know, enrolling all of the drivers in this monitoring process where they will automatically ping the motor carrier if that driver's license status changes. Now, there are some hiccups to that because not all states play nicely um, with, with those programs. And so it causes some problems. So, but, uh, you know, suffice it to say, this is something that's possible. It's, it's possible from an IT standpoint, we just have to get there. And I think if we can eventually get to a place where we close all that gaps, we'd, we'd be better for it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, just I think some of the most recent data that we just saw you know, from the FMCSA is they release every month, right? The total number of drivers that are, you know, maybe that have been eliminated, you know, from the you know, pool of active drivers eligible to, to operate a CMV. You know, how many drivers have been removed? You know, what is that number? Was it 113,000 as of last month? Yeah, so these numbers are pretty crazy. So over the last three year period, 156,510 drivers have had a violation reported to the clearinghouse. And of those 156,000, 113,995, so almost 114,000 drivers are still in prohibited status, meaning they haven't taken, they haven't finished the regulatory steps that are required to get them to return to duty. It's called the return to duty process. They have to go see a substance abuse professional. They have to go through a treatment plan. They have to take a return to duty test, and then they have to uh, do follow-up testing for a certain period of time afterwards. And so 114,000 drivers are unable to operate commercial motor vehicles because of a drug and alcohol testing violation. And then another crazy number there is that of those 113,000 who are in prohibited status, 86,501 have not even started that return to duty status process, meaning they haven't gone to see a substance abuse professional, which is the very first step. So these drivers are just gone. They're 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 either out of the industry doing something else, uh, or they're we or just completely blind to them. I think that mostly they're going to be out of the industry doing something else, and it's a crazy number because it almost mirrors the number of drivers that the ATA estimates that we're short when we talk about the driver shortage. I think they say that we're short about eighty thousand drivers. 86,000 of them have uh, have tested positive and and are in prohibited status and haven't started the process of returning to duty. Yeah, that's pretty significant. That's a, that's a large number. It's 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 what we want, right? I mean, because that was the whole idea of this clearinghouse to close some of the loopholes that existed, you know, prior to its existence, but also, you know, we want to make the roads, you know, safer and we want people that are, you know, following the rules. So, but that that is a challenge and we certainly have our work cut out for us to get more new drivers into the industry to offset that that the loss of those uh, folks here in the last three years. It's also a little tough from the driver perspective. I, I understand because a lot of motor carriers um, have a policy of not hiring drivers who've tested positive for drugs or alcohol in the past, regardless of whether they finish that return to duty process or not. They just say as a matter of company policy, it's too risky for us to, uh, to hire a driver who's had a positive drug or alcohol test result in the past. So they don't, they don't hire them. So f- for, if I'm a driver in that, 
uh, dilemma where I've tested positive for drugs or alcohol. And let's say I go through that return to duty process. I do everything that's required of me to get back in the truck. The problem then for them is finding a motor carrier who's willing to take a chance on me and, and hire me. I, I, I see the issues from both perspectives. Well, now, since since we're about out of time, there's so much additional, you know, regulatory, uh, you know, I think items that we can talk about. Would you be willing to join me on another uh, episode here in the company, you know, let's say in the next month or two, and we can dive into some more, you know, there's there's a, there's so many I can't even mention them right now, and I know there's no way we're getting into it in, in under a minute. Yeah. So yeah, we could do uh, yeah, let's do like a year in review or something, and talk about what's upcoming next year because there's as you say there's a lot on the FMCSA's agenda in terms of rulemaking, so there's a lot we can discuss. Well, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, as always, enjoy your wisdom and uh, perspective. Hope you have a, a wonderful rest of the week. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road, whatever platform you use to listen. Until next time, thank you for Taking the Higher Road. Mm-hmm.